This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. Today is Thursday, November 25th. Coming up this week, Kevin Strickland was exonerated and released from prison after serving more than 40 years for three murders. We'll take a closer look at his path to freedom. But first, some headlines. Kansas City Police Chief Rick Smith is set to leave his job next April, but get paid his regular salary through the end of August, according to a retirement memo obtained through a public records request. Steve Vakrat reports. The memo bears the name of Kansas City Board of Police Commissioners President Mark Tolbert. Smith makes $189,000 a year. The memo describes an agreement reached following a Tuesday morning meeting at City Hall between Tolbert, Smith, and Kansas City Mayor Quentin Lucas. The police department says Smith planned to retire all along in 2022. The Kansas City Star said Smith was pushed out after being told that there were enough votes on the Board of Police Commissioners to fire him. KCUR has not independently confirmed that. Once again, COVID cases and hospitalizations are rising in the Kansas City area. KCUR's Alex Smith reports. The Kansas City area is now reporting an average of more than 300 new COVID cases per day, and both Kansas and Missouri are seeing steady increases in hospitalizations. KU infectious disease specialist Dr. Dana Hawkinson says that transmissions during this week's holiday will shape winter virus trends. I think it's going to be waiting these next two or three weeks to see how the increase in the seven-day rolling average of cases translates into hospitalizations because that is more of what we were con- we are concerned with. Hawkinson cautioned that younger children who haven't had time to complete vaccinations aren't yet fully protected against the coronavirus. Several artists with ties to Kansas City were nominated for Grammy Awards on Tuesday. KCUR's Beck Shackelford Wanganga has more. An album by composer Andy Akiho and performed by the group Sandbox Percussion was nominated for two awards, Best Chamber Music Slash Small Ensemble Performance and Best Contemporary Classical Composition. The four members of Sandbox Percussion are currently teaching at UMKC Conservatory. Ian Rosenbaum says the pandemic allowed them to work almost exclusively on the record. We put an incredible amount of time into it, way more than we could have if we had a normal schedule. But given that nothing else was going on, you know, in the artistic world, we were able to devote all of our energy to this project. Also nominated for awards are Joyce DiDonato, an opera singer from Prairie Village, and Pat Matheny, a jazz guitarist and composer from Lee's Summit. Kevin Strickland served 43 years in prison for three murders. Earlier this week, a judge ruled that there wasn't enough evidence to convict him. On KCUR's Up to Date, Brian Ellison spoke to two of the people instrumental to freeing Strickland about what comes next. And we are joined now by two of the key players in making this day come about. Jean Peters-Baker is Jackson County prosecutor. She initiated the proceedings that led to Kevin Strickland's exoneration. Prosecutor Baker, welcome to you. Good morning. And good morning, Kevin Strickland. He's waking up in Kansas City Can today. actually turn on the radio if he wants to and, and, and listen as a free man. And uh, Tricia Rojo-Bushnell is executive director of the Midwest Innocence Project, one of Strickland's attorneys in this process. Uh, Tricia, welcome to you. Good morning. We're glad to have both of you with us this morning, and uh, and congratulations on your victory. I guess I'm I want to ask first your your reactions to uh, to the judge's finding. Were you were you surprised, uh, Jean? Surprise? Um, no. I've tried a lot of cases, and the reason this um, Luke described the the case against Mr. Strickland as weak, it was weak because he's actually innocent. I've tried 
really tough cases before where evidence is not perfect, it's not beautiful. Your witnesses um, sometimes, you know, have a lot of other issues. This case was weak. It's a different form of weak. <laughs> because it's, it was f- false. <laughs> it's because it was false. It's because he's actually innocent. We always felt like just give us a judge, give us a courtroom. That's all we really need, and we'll get there. And that's where we got. Tricia Bushnell, you are accustomed to arguing cases where, uh, where, where you at least believe that the that the person who was convicted is in fact innocent. Uh, what's your reaction to the finding yesterday? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's very similar to Jean's in that we were also confident that any judge that would actually hear the case would see what the evidence proves, right? Which is that Kevin is actually innocent. Um, that said, you know, it doesn't mean that just because we know that and believe that we don't understand the various ways that the legal system doesn't recognize innocence or doesn't support folks who are innocent, uh, even when they're able to make that showing. So yeah, I don't know that I would say I was surprised, but I think we, it, it was, it, you know, it's clearly the right outcome. Um, but I think we're ecstatic, <laughs> right, that Kevin's home. Obviously, you had some opportunity to uh, to talk with Kevin Strickland yesterday. What was what was his reaction, Tricia? You know, Kevin, I think he always describes it best. He says it's probably an emotion that the rest of us don't even yet understand or have a word for because it's, it's a lot of different things at once. You know, it's, it, he was experiencing joy, but also grief uh, and, and frustration in, the, in your relief, you know, everything all at once. Uh, so it's just sort of an overwhelming moment, but he's taken it minute by minute. I know you were out at, at Cameron yesterday when, when Kevin Strickland was released, Gene Peters Baker. What, uh, what, what, what did you see out there? What Tricia described, and as Mr. Strickland described his emotions, I think I shared them. It was frustration and some anger and some incredible joy. And I knew this is a moment, you know, that will stay in the Rolodex forever. <laughs> and even as uh, as there is joy in, in being free this morning, there's also some realities now uh, facing Kevin Strickland. One is that yeah. in Missouri, wrongfully convicted and incarcerated people don't receive compensation from the state, generally speaking. Can you explain that to us, uh, Jean? No, I really can't. <laughs> um, it's wrong. It's just, it's wrong. And I'm, I'm hoping maybe some legislators will see the the hole in Missouri law that um, you have to be exonerated through DNA to receive compensation they'll know that's wrong because it's I can't articulate it any other way than it's wrong and it needs to get fixed obviously Trisha you you must must see that the same way uh, is there any recourse at this point for for you and for Kevin Strickland so you know at, at this moment in time there there is no state compensation right for for Mr Strickland so no he he is not entitled to anything like that I think what many people think about someone who is exonerated comes home and you'll see this in lots of different comments that folks make on social media is they think that someone is definitely going to get a lawsuit right um, but the standard to to sue for the state is incredibly high you have to prove misconduct in various ways and so. The vast majority of folks who are exonerated don't win a civil lawsuit and also don't get compensated even through a state mechanism. So, you know, what's sad is that Mr. Strickland's experience is demonstrating what many people go through, that he's lost 43 years, that he'll never get back, moments he can never get back, but also not receive a dime from the state. I wonder if you could fill us in a little bit, Trisha, on what his plans are. I mean, uh, where he will live, with whom he will stay. I, I, I just can't stop thinking about the fact that that he's been in prison since he was a teenager. He's never he's never had a cell phone. He's never signed a lease on an apartment. How does how does his life get going again now? It, it both slowly and quickly at the same time. I mean, there's a lot to be done, right? It, all of the things that you're noticing, you're saying, but it, it's also he has no clothing, right? He doesn't have an ID. Yeah. How do you get an ID when you don't have an ID? <laughs> uh, 
so all of those processes have to begin. He's not entitled to Social Security because he didn't pay into it for 40 years. So there's all of these things that have to be navigated. He is staying with a family member, but there's even complications in that, right? He's in a wheelchair, so the ability to stay in the place that he's at, you know, where that has stairs, those are complicated. So he's really got to not only sort of catch up to what everyone else has had, getting a credit history, getting a bank account, all of these different things. He also has to compensate for the things that he was deprived of, you know, buying clothing and, and, and just making plans. How do you make plans when you never knew you had any opportunities presented to you? And so he really is trying to figure that out, but he has to do it at the speed of light in a way that the rest of us never had to. Coming up, how Kevin Strickland's case got the attention of the Midwest Innocence Project. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. This is Kansas City Today. UMB Private Wealth Management, a division of UMB Bank, takes the time to understand your history, goals, and priorities. UMB tailors financial planning services and resources to help you accumulate, preserve, and protect your wealth for whatever life throws your way. It's all about establishing a customized plan for you so you can focus on the important parts of life, like spending time with family and friends, pursuing your passions, or building a career. Feel confident about your future at UMB Private Wealth Management. Everything we do starts with you. Learn more at umb.com slash wealth hyphen management. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. We'll return to Jackson County Prosecutor Jean Peters-Baker, Midwest Innocence Project Executive Director Trisha Bushnell, and KCUR's Brian Ellison. I'm Brian Ellison. Gene Peters-Baker, I guess, help take us back. How did your office first start taking an interest in this case? When did it first come to your attention, and, and how did you go about the decision to say, we're going to go for it, we're going we're gonna to try to make this case? It came in through um, Trisha's colleague here, uh, Bob Hoffman, who's, who's been working um, with her on this case from their beginning. And that was very late last year. Uh, we received this case, um, so it was assigned to one person in the office and and then kind of splintered out to whoever needed to look at it. I was looking at it in December of last year, um, trying to determine what more we needed to do to prove his innocence, because uh, it seemed clear we got it wrong. And then the more we pulled back, you know, this another layer and another layer, just nothing pointed to him. You know, nothing did. Yes, there, you know, he knew these people. And yes, he made inflammatory comments to the police. But that does not make you guilty of a triple homicide in anyone's county in America. Um, And it sure as hell doesn't here in Jackson County. So I think we felt such urgency to move by the spring of last year, and we had no power to move. By the time the law finally came, we were we were clipping because we we need we just felt that urgency and it somehow it seems like that urgency that we my office felt um offended people and you know we really got we really got slapped for that um well it is a pretty unusual situation right i mean you you are you don't have the apparatus set up to to prove people's innocence uh normally right you're you're usually looking for ways to prove people guilty um i'll disagree with you on that we have a, you know, a unit that takes a look at these cases. And, you know, we are going to continue to learn and see what what do we need to learn from Mr. Strickland's case, but more recent cases, you know, like Ricky Kidd, what should my office have learned? How can we do these things better? And man, did I learn a lot of things from the attorney generals and their relentlessness. 
their stubbornness and um, kind of trying to come up with words that are appropriate for radio and for a future <laughs> relationship. Um, but they taught me a few things that I sure would like to share with my co- other prosecutor colleagues around the state of Missouri so they can be successful as well. Well, I, I mean, I, and I do want to ask you about the 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 relationship and the the interaction with the Missouri Attorney General's office, uh, as you as you heard in that statement that Eric Schmidt's office released yesterday, we defended the rule of law. Uh, is that is that how you understand what the Attorney General was doing? Just because someone needed to defend the original conviction, that's what they were doing. That is so profoundly in error. It's such a profound, profoundly idiotic statement. It's wrong. And when something's wrong, you should just call it out as that. That's it's just flatly wrong. That is not his duty. The way he defended this case, it is absolutely not his duty. And I I want that to be he has my oath. We have the same oath. We have the same obligation. And that offends me. And it should offend everyone who listens to it because it is it's just foolhardy and it's silly and it's wrong. And to that degree, I think it's it was also prosecutorial malpractice, the way he handled this case. You know, we once had a prosec- or a, a attorney general that his campaign slogan was, all prosecutor, no politics. Well, somewhere along the way, I think that got reversed. You know, it, we're in reverse now. And... You know, I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm hot about that because it's, it's a misunderstanding of the very basics, Prosecutor 101. Trisha Bushnell, uh, the, the Midwest Innocence Project has had this case uh, near the top of its agenda for a while. When did you first get involved with this case and, and how much time has been invested in it? So, yeah, I, I first came on in 2018 um, when I first started reviewing Kevin's case and I met with him. We both remember that day very clearly. I actually met with him on his birthday, which is the day after my birthday. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, it was sort of you know straight on since that moment. I mean, as Jean said, you, you look at this case and you can see how weak it is on its face. And so um, it was a process of just getting through as quickly as we could and getting as many resources as we could, including our colleagues at Brian Cave, to join us and, and work as quickly as we could because it just, uh, you know, 43 years is it's just hard, I think, for any of us to imagine. I, I want to follow up with you the, the same question I asked uh, Jean Peters Baker in, in which she pushed back a little on that this idea that prosecutors are primarily about proving guilt. I mean, how how unusual is it to be working with prosecutors on a case like this for, for the Midwest Innocence Project? You know, it's not unusual to to work with prosecutors because it's exactly as Jean said, a prosecutor's duty, their ethical duty um, under all of the guidelines, the ABA guidelines, the Missouri ethical guidelines, is that prosecutors have a special duty, and that is to do justice, not to convict. You know, we are lucky, especially in places like Kansas, where all of our clients who've come home in Kansas have all been where the prosecutor agreed and joined the motion and they came home that day. Um, It's not unusual because the, the role of the prosecutor is to do justice. And I think it is uh, actually disingenuous to say that they were defending a valid jury verdict because no verdict can be valid when the jury didn't get true, real evidence. If the jury had heard this evidence, it would have found differently, and that's what the, the judge found. That was KCUR's Brian Ellison speaking to Jackson County Prosecutor Jean Peters-Baker and Midwest Innocence Project Executive Director Trisha Bushnell on Up to Date. 
This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. This podcast was produced by Byron Love and edited by Lisa Rodriguez. To read more of our coverage of Kevin Strickland's case, visit kcur.org. As always, you can hear Kansas City's NPR station on the radio at 89.3 FM. We want to hear from you. If you like the show, rate and review us on your favorite podcast app or leave us a voicemail at 816-235-8930 with your thoughts. We're off tomorrow, but I'll see you on Monday when we'll hear how two Latinas are trying to make politics in Kansas more diverse. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week.